Well, thanks for being here. Uh, every Sunday we gather together to worship. Uh, we do the same things pretty much every Sunday. We pray, we sing, we read the word, we hear the word preached, we fellowship together. Uh, but there's sometimes Sundays we have unique elements, unique dimensions to what we're doing. And this is one of those Sundays. Uh, we have, are going to later in the service ordain Jake Osborne uh, to pastoral ministry. Uh, we're going to uh, lay hands on him, pray for him and for his wife and for his ministry here. Uh, but uh, this is a wonderful day uh, to celebrate God's gift of him to our church. But I know even in talking to him, his heart is that all of us would revel in Jesus. <laughs> even as we're thankful for him, that we would have a, a greater, infinitely greater thankfulness for Christ. And so I want to let you know what we're going to do this morning because it is fairly unique. We don't do this all the time. Uh, it is a rare occurrence, but I hope will be a more frequent occurrence. Um, we, we are going to hear the word uh, preached for us, which I'll introduce our, our preacher here in a moment. Uh, but it's going to, to be an address in some ways to Jake, but for all of us from the Word of God to hear about the gift of pastors and how they function in the life of a church. But then after uh, the sermon, we're going to have a time where we're going to invite Jake and Allie, uh, his wife, up onto stage, and we're going to ask some questions of him, uh, several questions of commitment, of, of him committing himself, uh, making vows of a sort uh, to us as, and before the Lord, uh, to how he's pledging to minister in the years ahead. And then we're going to even have an opportunity uh, to, to respond similarly as a church family to commit to responding to him as a pastor, following his leadership, praying for him, caring for him, things like that. So we'll get to do that towards the end, then we'll pray for them. Uh, Jake's going to even get to share a few comments with us, then we'll sing together at the end as we usually do. Uh, but we do have a guest preacher this morning, uh, Ken Mellinger, who has preached here before a few times for us. He was, uh, and his wife Beth were here with us most recently at Pastor Larry's 40th uh, and, and Gladine's uh, 40th anniversary. He's back in the fall. Uh, but I want to note one thing before uh, Ken, come, or a few things. Ken serves as the regional leader in our denomination of several states, including Indiana and our Assembly of Churches, uh, has done a wonderful job of the last numerous years serving in that role. Uh, him and Beth, actually the last several months, have been processing with the Lord and with each other and with their church the potential of moving to Texas uh, for him and for them to have a new ministry, uh, utilizing their gifts well at a Sovereign Grace Church down in Texas. And uh, through through that process, they've been confirmed in that. And actually next Sunday, May the 8th, they're starting their long trek from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area down to Texas. And so I note that, one, because they may not be here with us again for a long while. If not, we will see you in glory. I will see you more often than the church. Uh, but I uh, wanted to encourage you to pray for them. Uh, and also wanted to say a special thanks for spending one of your last Sundays, uh, quite literally, uh, with us as a church family to be with us to preach this morning. And so I wanted us to give a round of applause uh, to Ken as he comes and delivers the word for us. But thank you, Ken. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. It is a privilege for Beth and I to be here. We love to visit Sovereign Grace churches and we particularly enjoy the ordination of pastors. It's one of the favorite aspects of the role I have uh, is the ordination of pastors in Sovereign Grace. It's very important, this matter of ordination, because churches, movements, denominations, we know from church history, tend to drift, uh, tend to veer off of uh, their founding purposes, the, the good place they started. And so leaders matter tremendously, and we're looking forward to Jake's involvement in our region uh, particularly. So happy to be here, and, uh, and bittersweet that it's our likely our last time, uh, uh, Lord willing, perhaps we're back at some point, but we don't we don't know of that. But in, in this being the last time and in looking forward to what the Lord seems to have for us, I do want to honor my wife, Beth, uh, who is seated in the front row, uh, who is here today. Uh, the uh, friends uh, in the various churches I serve and in Living Hope are surprised that we're doing this. Uh, I was basically torn between retirement or one more task from the Lord. I turned 68 this year, and I thought, 
might be time to hang up the cleats. It might be, it might be we've, we've done what we do. I do believe in pastoring at one church for a long time. It's been 35 plus years at Living Hope. But people were stunned because they're like, how'd you get Beth to do this? You have four kids and 18 grandkids within an hour and a half. Uh, how did you get Beth to do this? Uh, and the answer would be that though she loves her family dearly, uh, she loves Jesus more. And so it was, uh, and it was a funny process. If I could just share this for one minute. We had two five-minute conversations about this, which is not our norm for major decisions. But it was so clearly the hand of the Lord in processing it. Uh, and so I'm grateful for the wife God has given me and grateful we get to do this together. If you could turn to 1 Timothy 4, uh, that will be our text today if you want to follow along. We are ordaining Jake to gospel ministry today in Sovereign Grace Churches. To serve as a pastor is a distinct honor because pastors are charged with the responsibility of caring for the sheep for whom Jesus died. The ones he obtained with his blood, the ones who are precious to him. It's the responsibility of a pastor to fill that role. Pastors literally seek to represent Jesus to his flock. This task requires that pastors sacrificially serve as both servants and leaders. One of the key ways leaders serve is by leading. God has ordained, and by that word we mean established by his authority, God has ordained three institutions that are designed to serve us as human beings for our flourishing. Those three institutions are the home, the government, and the church. All three, very important in our lives. All three can be wonderful and can fulfill their role in glorious ways, and all three can be problematic. It is a fallen world after all. So each institution requires proper leadership to accomplish its God-given purpose. Regarding the church, we know from the Bible that God gives us the gift of leaders. The Apostle Paul wrote these words first to the church in Ephesus, and notice how the aim of leadership is to help the saints thrive and flourish. Pastors are given for your benefit. Ephesians 4.11 and following, and he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. It's given for you. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, something Paul mentions in Ephesians, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Leaders are given by Jesus to his church. Verse 11 says, and he gave this is grace according to Ephesians 4, 6. Now, what is the essence of this gift? Not surprisingly, because, listen, in churches, there can be all manner of critique of how pastors do and what they do. And in these days, there can be concerns about pastors being uh, administratively gifted or uh, somehow... Uh, what vision do we have for the church? That, that sort of language can be used. And I'm not trying to criticize it entirely. I'm trying to say it's not the main thing. The essence of this gift is the same as following Jesus. It is no different. And so Geiger and Peck, in their book, Designed to Lead, write this. Robert Quinn, a leadership professor at University of Michigan, has joined in pointing out that the origins of the word leader means go forth and die. In his book, Change the World, he writes, 
Leadership authors do not understand that leadership means go forth to die. If they did understand it, they would not be enticed to write about it because people do not want to hear this message. Most people want to be told how to get extraordinary results with minimum risk. They want to know how to get out-of-the-box results within the box courage. True leaders. True leaders are servants who die to themselves so others may flourish. Which maps on to the words of Jesus in Luke 9, 23, 24. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This dying to self is not begrudging. It is a joyful dying. It's not sad, but it's glad. This dying believes in a bright tomorrow called eternity. Pastors equip people. Pastors prepare people to face eternity. That is ultimate. So the keys to effective leadership for this call, for the leader who understands this call, there must first be, and this is for Jake, there must be a desire for this task. It is not a task that's to be taken under compulsion. One isn't forced to do this. It's something that is desired. It means one is called by God and affirmed by others. One has an internal sense of calling, which is often in the form of desire. And there is an external calling where it isn't just what the individual thinks, but others point the finger and say, you're God's man to serve in this way. The church affirms the call, and you'll have your opportunity to do that today. It means love for Jesus Christ and his bride. Jake, you must love the people of God. You must love them all. Without favoritism, without exception, there must be love for the people of God. And there must be unhappiness with the status quo. We aim for maturity in the saints. We aim to equip the saints. All of us are in process, and all of us have a story, and we are all growing toward the fullness of Christ. So in the text we're going to read, the Apostle Paul is giving Timothy a charge and an explanation regarding how to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. That's my title, a good servant of Christ Jesus. So let's read uh, 1 Timothy 4, verse 6 through 16. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine which you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. May God bless the preaching of his word. Please note the word if in verse 6. This isn't an automatic. This isn't a given. This does not necessarily happen in all churches where pastors are given to the faithful pastoral task. This is hard work. The pastor must not be lazy. It has been noted that the pastorate affords pastors the opportunity to be lazy because there's often their own schedule to set, their own use of time. The pastor must not be lazy. 
The phrase, these things in the text, refers in part to the words preceding our text. So in context, Paul has told Timothy in chapter 3, verse 14, how one ought to behave in the household of God. In 3.16, he describes the mystery of godliness, which is Jesus Christ, the glories of the incarnation where God uh, sets aside eternal glory, clothes himself with human flesh, comes to earth on our behalf to die a death on a cross for us. This mystery of godliness is great. And then there is this warning in chapter 4, verse 1, that some will depart from the faith. And this we take with the utmost seriousness because we do not wish to be in that category. Paul then moves on to explain faithful ministry. And I'm just going to briefly show you seven words or ideas that describe what faithful ministry is like in the church. This is important. In Sovereign Grace Churches, I want to mention, we have a court system where a member of a church may bring a charge against a pastor. I want to encourage you and exhort you to this end because we understand that it's easier to bail. Quitting's always easier, right? So, so if you experience a difficult situation with a pastor, we prefer strongly that you would not just bail and head to some other church in town or wherever. We would prefer that we try to work things out. Love demands it as a requirement. So if you think you've experienced something that is not godly, you are duty-bound to press a charge. You can see our book of church order as to how to do that. It, it sounds a bit, uh, a bit stern, like a bit, a bit formal, but the intent is just simply to have a way for differences to be worked out. It is not love if a pastor would have, a, me included, if there'd be an issue of some sort, it's not love to say, well, I'll just let him go on in that. I'll just let that continue. I'll let others do that. That's never the path of love. Rather, it's loving to seek to bring the issue to the table and seek to work it out. Again, we're not trying to strong arm anyone or force anyone, but, but pastors, we will see, are charged with this idea of growth. So we want to exhort you and encourage you to that end. We must all examine ourselves. So Jake, I'm speaking mostly to you with these seven words or ideas, but we want all of you to be aware of what a pastor should be, what, what the role should look like, and we want very much for you to grow in all of these areas as well. These are not exclusive territories that only belong to a pastor. So the first word is the word servant. Verse 6, 6a. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Jake, as you step into this role, serving as a sovereign grace pastor, the first thing to be clear upon is this, you are a servant. More, you're a servant of Jesus Christ. This means your very first concern is to please Jesus, is to do what's right and best in his sight because he is your master. The good saints of this church, often well-intended, are not your master. They are not in charge of you. You do not report to them. You do report to Jesus Christ. These things usually align in our experience. Usually the church is at a good place with people. But it's not always so. And so Paul in Galatians 1.10 said, to the Galatians, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Which doesn't mean you try to upset them. Doesn't mean you try to make them angry. That's not the point. It means that you're a servant of Christ first and foremost. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards they be found faithful. So servants, stewards, same idea. We are called 
to serve. And in serving, we seek to emulate the example of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. It is a deadly snare to think people exist for pastors. It is not so. Pastors exist to serve and equip the flock. Servants are humble people. Servants are unselfish people. Servants lay down their lives for others. In this case, the flock of God, which Jesus obtained by his own blood. Jake, you are called to serve. The second word is trained. The work of pastoring requires vigilant study. We never arrive. We never coast. And we guard against drift in our own life, lest we come upon or are a shipwreck. So the rest of verse 6 If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine you have followed. Being trained in the words of faith, as you know, refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Paul gives us an imperative, a command, it's regularly preceded by the indicative, a statement of fact, because your only boast is in the cross of Christ. So there is Good doctrine. And good doctrine matters tremendously. We are all theologians and we all believe and practice what we believe is best and right and true at a given moment in time. In my 20s, before I was a pastor, I blew off doctrine. Blew it off completely. It was late 60s, early 70s. We were blowing off everything. Uh, just, this just fell into the category. I had practical books on marriage and parenting, but I had no books on theology. It's embarrassing to me that I tried to read Knowing God by J.I. Packer uh, twice, bogged down. I do not understand how that was even possible uh, now. But um, my, my thinking was, and some of you think this too, my thinking was they're all arguing and debating over whether it's this thing or that thing this way or that way. And if they've argued for centuries and they haven't figured out, why should I even bother or try? So I was light on theology and light on doctrine. But we live our doctrine. We live our theology. So, Jake, you must be grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ and good doctrine. So tighten your grip on the gospel. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Never forget Never forget, your sins have been forgiven. In Ephesians 1 to 3, uh, this glorious compendium of doctrine, there's only one command given, and it's the command to not forget that our sins have been forgiven. We must always live in that place. We keep the cross in view. The price Jesus paid means sin ought not to surprise us. This is a fallen world. And so sin ought not to surprise us. Grace should be amazing. Sin is so often the norm. But Jesus paid the price for our sin. And so the fact that our sins are forgiven means we live in the good of that day in and day out. So you're a servant. You're trained third. The third word is godliness. Verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather train yourself in godliness. Now, we tend to think of ourselves as scientific and sophisticated. We would never fall for silly myths, irreverent myths, but it happens in the church all the time. We ought not to be duped uh, by things that aren't solid truth, and yet it happens. It happens in the church of God. And so just over the last decade or so, things I've heard reports of, knowing nothing about, Gold dust on hands, seeing angels, giving money into TV ministries, glory clouds, gold fillings, and it goes on and on. These things could happen. I'm not, I'm not denying uh, that the impossible may not take place in various ways. I'm just trying to point out it has nothing to do with godliness. And godliness would be our aim and our goal. So, Jake, train yourself for godliness. Notice it doesn't say Pray for godliness. Of course we pray. Of course we ask for God's spirit. We ask for God's help and strength. But this is something you train yourself in. It's work that is on your end. No one else 
can do it for you. So Kent Hughes, in Disciplines of a Godly Man, says this about discipline and godliness. The rich etymology of discipline, train, suggests a conscious divestment of all encumbrances and then a determined investment of all one's energies. Just as ancient athletes discarded everything and competed gumnos, naked, so must the disciplined Christian man divest himself of every association, habit, and tendency which impedes godliness. Then, with this lean spiritual nakedness accomplished, he must invest all his energy and sweat in the pursuit of godliness. The leaf-sculpted figure of the classic Greek runner gives the idea. Stripped naked, he has put his perspiration into thousands of miles for the purpose of running well. Even so, the successful Christian life is always, without exception, a stripped-down, disciplined, sweaty affair. The understanding that vigorous spiritual discipline is essential to godliness accords with the universal understanding that discipline is necessary to accomplish anything in life. So the debate rages, at least in the circles I'm in, about who is the greatest basketball player of all time. I thought I'm in Indiana, you might know about basketball. But for those of you that don't, the debate rages over whether Michael Jordan or LeBron James are the greatest player of all time, the GOAT. You can see me later for the answer. But what I want you to see, because I have the answer, what I want you to see and know is that those boys just don't roll in for the basketball game. They have worked hard, they have exercised, they have trained, they have worked on their jump shot, they practice diligently because you look through their careers, there's growth they experience in certain areas of their game. Natural talent? Absolutely. Like you and I are not them. Natural talent, but they work at it. There is sweaty discipline involved in growing in any area of life. So Jake, train yourself for godliness, take care of your life, and let God build the ministry unless the Lord works on your behalf. Uh, your work will be of no avail. And avoid myths and speculations and subjective ideas. They abound in our day and our time. Social media has only ramped up all of this. There are speculations and ideas as we've come through the past five to ten years, if you're like me, now you may have your favorites, but if you're like me, you don't know who to trust and what to believe. Because you're not sure what's being spun where, you're not sure who's attacking who, when, where, and how. It is very difficult to ascertain anything out in our world, I would suggest, that approximates truth. We avoid speculations and subjective ideas we must be grounded in objective truth. We're built on a rock that cannot be shaken, and that is the Word of God. So you do so because verse 8 says, Godliness has value in the present life, and it has value in the life to come. We value things that matter in eternity. We, we weigh them by the scale of eternity. All the rest is commentary. The fourth word is example. Verse 12, set the believers an example. So Paul gives five categories for your consideration and application. First, he says speech. Jake, I can guarantee you, having been a pastor for over 30 years, the area you will most likely to get yourself in trouble, at least this is for me and my friends, is your speech, your tongue. It is, James says, uh, can set a forest ablaze. Uh, Isaiah, when the Lord appears to him, in Isaiah 6, says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Our speech is often problematic. It, it's meant to be positive, but it's often problematic and often gets us in trouble. So set an example in your speech. Second, in your conduct. In your conduct, Jake, I want to exhort you to uh, consider what a life of love looks like, which is the third one that gets named, and what humility looks like. You want to consider others as more important than yourself. You want to consider themselves as higher than you. You lay down your life to serve them. Love covers a multitude of wrongs. Faith matters because unbelief is sin. 
And so we battle for faith. We know what it's like to encounter doubts. We know what it's like uh, to fight for faith, but we doubt our doubts, and we trust the Word of God to show us the path forward. And then the fifth word is purity, which uh, is sexual fidelity. Our sexuality being handled properly uh, is of the utmost importance in the ministry. So these areas are areas we set an example. So Jake, with all the other areas that are left over, do whatever you like. Um, but in these areas, speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, you must pay close attention to your life because your example will affect others. Uh, for myself, when I was called to the ministry and we were considering things, I prayed that God would keep me out of the ministry if the end of it all was going to be harm to the body of Christ. Did not want to harm anyone, and I did not want to bring uh, a bad name on the body of Christ by my behavior. So Jake, pay close attention to your life because your example will affect others. Charles Bridges in his Proverbs commentary says, it's not left for us to determine whether there shall be any influence, only what that influence shall be. Walking with the wise, under their instruction, encouragement, and example, we shall be wise. So spend time with the wise in order to become wise yourself. People are attracted to wisdom. Uh, Milton Vincent in a Gospel Primer writes, I realize the greatest gift I can give my fellow Christians is the Gospel itself. Indeed, I love my fellow Christians not simply because of the Gospel, but I love them best when I'm loving them with the Gospel. And I do this not merely by speaking Gospel words to them, but also by living before them and generously relating to them in a Gospel manner. Imparting my life to them in this way, I thereby contribute to their experience of the power, the Spirit, and the full assurance of the gospel. We cannot expect our church, for those of us who are pastors, we cannot expect our church to excel in evangelism or prayer or giving if our example is not compelling. Jake, you must aim to live without cunning or guile before these good people. The church will follow where pastors lead, but if our words are far better than our lives, the hypocrisy that eventually emerges is tragic and many lives can be shipwrecked. The fifth word is scripture. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Here there are three important uses of scripture listed. First is public reading. A public reading is valuable because well, certainly back in those days uh, there were not Bibles uh, to be had, but Public reading is valuable because we must not assume as pastors that our folks have read the Bible in the previous week or month. We must not assume that. We exhort it, we encourage it, but we must not assume that. So we read the word when we are gathered together. The second use is exhortation. We want to steer folks in the right direction. We encourage them, we urge them, we seek to put courage in them. We exhort them to persevere in the midst of difficulties, we exhort them to consider the very best, not just go for the good. And then teaching. Teaching exists to equip the saints. So there are a lot of things that will compete for your time and attention. Devote yourself to the Word of God. It's doubtful. We can know the Word too well. We need the Word of God to see and discern rightly. Psalm 119, 105, your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. So keep your love for the word of God burning brightly. Your familiarity with the word of God ought to be growing. You use the word to minister to others, not proof text, not hit them over the head, but, but we do want to open the scriptures when we're with the saints. We don't exist to give, for instance, career advice. I had a friend back home who uh, was not in favor of my son being put in the ministry as a lead pastor at the age of 28 of a rather large church. And um, most folks were for it, but his argument was that, well, because he's only 28, he doesn't have life experience, he doesn't know how to counsel individuals uh, regarding career choices and vocations and that sort of thing, to which I said to him, well, that's not a pastor's job. Talk to others who, 
who have been, lived life, who've been there, that, that makes a lot of sense. But the job of pastors to open the Word of God and help you build your life on the rock, and we don't have expertise in all of life. It doesn't work that way. There are folks that do, that you can go toward, but that's not the job of a pastor. We offer life. We offer the Word of God. The sixth word is progress. Verse 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Good news, Jake. Pastors have the opportunity to grow. We don't begin having arrived. We grow in ministry. Um, if people see growth in you through your preaching, teaching, leading, counseling, discipling, and equipping, uh, it will increase their trust in you, and the grace to follow will grow over time. So pursue growth. Uh, over the years, I took pastor's college classes to stay sharp and to grow. Um, there was just a class we had on the Holy Spirit, which I wasn't able to attend. I'll make it next year, no doubt. But, but we want to constantly be studying and growing because leaders read. Uh, the trust of people in you will increase over time as they see your growth and know they can bank on the grace of God in your life. But these good people do not expect perfection from you. None of us can offer that. They do expect we own our errors and our mistakes. But as you make progress in grace, you will find your kingdom impact increases and people will follow your leadership happily if they see progress in you. I like to point out to my friends that 50% of all Sovereign Grace pastors are in the bottom half. So 50% are in the top half too, but just half of us aren't there. So we're not interested in comparing ourselves with others. We're simply interested in looking at the Word, seeing what the Word would have us do, and seeking to grow. And the seventh and final word is guard. This is the idea of verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. A close watch. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. There is always the danger of not finishing well. A couple decades ago, Robert Clinton wrote a book on leadership where from his study of the Bible, he estimated three-fourths of leaders in the Bible do not finish well. They, they go off course. So how will you, Jake, avoid that sad ending? I'd suggest you pay close attention to your life by paying close attention to your marriage. Love your wife exclusively. Uh, in parenting, uh, get help. In finances, uh, look for counsel. Sex, kids, and money is usually where the shipwreck occurs. It's usually where problems come along. It begins with small steps. There aren't usually major problems quickly. It's usually small steps over time. So you must pay close attention. Your fellowship with fellow pastors and trusted saints in this church will help you navigate life. Uh, over the years, I recruited specific people to pray for me in my ministry. Um, I realized I was dependent, and I realized that God could move. And so I wanted people to pray along with me to that end. Guard means constant vigilance. Beware ease and comfort. As we age, we all want ease and comfort. Uh, but you must keep a close watch on your life and doctrine. So let me conclude. Paul throws a lot at Timothy, and I'm throwing a lot at you. But it's all important. It's all important. That's why Paul wrote it to Timothy. To understand pastoral ministry, be familiar with, read, and study the pastorals because it'll keep you grounded in your role and responsibility. So, Jake, these seven words will make or break your ministry, and I'm confident of good things for you. Servant, trained, godliness, example, scripture, progress, and guard. Confident of the grace of God in your life. The pastors in the region enjoy you a great deal. They're happy for this day and look forward to serving with you in the years to come. I expect years from now to hear good things about your ministry here for the glory of God. And one final thing I want to say is don't limit God. 
Don't limit God. Look for opportunities to serve and invest and let God do what he will in you. But don't limit him by being small of faith or by turning away as oh, I couldn't do that. Expect God to use you for his glory. I'd like to pray now, asking God to bless his word. Lord, thank you for Jake. Thank you for Allie. And we pray your blessing upon him as he serves now as a sovereign grace pastor. But I pray that these words would inspire him on a daily basis. I pray that he would seek to watch his life and to watch his progress and to be an example for the flock. I pray that Jake would not lord it over uh, the dear saints here, but I pray that he would lift them up by serving them as a servant. Anoint his work and his labors, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite Jake and Allie to come up at this time. Our Book of Church Order has a list of 10 questions. And by the way, I'd like Mark to come up and the other pastors as well. We have a list of 10 questions that I will ask Jake to affirm. And then Mark will walk through things from there. Want to face me? Yeah, good. Jake, do you promise to shepherd the flock of God not under compulsion but willingly, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being an example to the flock? I do. Do you promise to faithfully guard the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer and do you promise to protect that flock from false teaching, division, and dissension? I do. Do you promise to care for the flock of God, not as a hireling, but as an under-shepherd of the great shepherd, caring for his sheep as the precious ones for whom he died? I do. And do you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and this congregation, promise to preach the word in season and out of season, and do you promise to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience, enduring suffering, while remaining sober-minded in all your preaching and teaching, and will you do the work of an evangelist among those whom God has given you charge? I will. Do you declare sincerely before God that you believe all the articles and points of doctrine contained in the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith and they fully agree with the Scriptures? Do you own that statement as a statement and confession of your faith? And do you promise to teach and defend these doctrines in public and private? I do. Amen. Do you promise further than the future that if you come to reservations about any of these doctrines, you will share these reservations with your eldership and the Regional Assembly of Elders. I do. Do you promise to keep a close watch on yourself and to walk humbly before others, to be self-suspicious of your own motives, to invite criticism from others, and to make yourself accountable to those whom God has put in your life? I do. Do you submit without exception to the explicitly mandated practices of the Sovereign Grace Book of Church Order, affirming that that form of government is a wise and suitable application of scriptural principles. I do. And do you promise to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and to show yourself in all respects, in action and in speech, to be a model of good works, integrity, and dignity, so that neither the church nor our Savior Jesus Christ nor the gospel may be brought into reproach? I do. Do you promise to continually seek the gifts of the Spirit, that you might serve God's people, not in the energy of the flesh, but in the power of the Spirit, and to carry out your ministry without fear of man? I do. Amen. Thank you for those affirmations. Church, uh, he had ten affirmations that he made. We're going to have four. Uh, and so uh, I'm going to ask uh, many of you to stand. It won't be all of you, but if you are a member of our church, an official member, if you are uh, a close friend of the Osbournes, or if you are family of Jake or Ali, I invite you to stand. Uh, and I'm going to ask these questions of you uh, here in a moment as you stand, and of us, since I'll be included in this. And so there'll be four questions, and after each one, if that is our intent, which I trust that it is, 
uh, if you will respond by saying, we do. So the first question to, the, uh, to us as his church family is, do you, the people of Christ's Covenant Church, receive Jake Osborne as your pastor? We do. Second, do you promise to receive the word of truth from Jake with meekness and love and to submit to him in the due biblical exercise of his leadership? We do. Third, do you promise to supply Jake with whatever material support he may need to fulfill his ministry among you? We do. And finally, do you promise to encourage Jake in his labors and to assist his ministry and leadership for your spiritual edification, the evangelization of the lost, and the promotion of God's glory? We do. Amen. We're going to take a few moments to, to pray for Jake and Allie. Uh, Pastor Ken and myself are going to pray for them. So I'm going to invite the elders to come and lay hands on Jake and Allie. Uh, it's a biblical practice, you see, in the New Testament uh, where uh, a leader is set aside, where the fellow leaders in that church as a whole lays hands upon him, prays for him as he begins that ministry. So that's what we're going to do for a few moments, and then we'll uh, hear a few thoughts from Jake, then we'll sing together again. But Ken, you can pray first, and I'll pray after you. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, I ask that you would fill Jake with your Holy Spirit. Strengthen him in his inner being. I pray that there would be endurance and perseverance because of the grace of God at work in his life. Lord, fill Jake with courage to stand against that which might be popular, uh, that which may come at him, I pray there be courage to stand on the word of God and to trust you, a sovereign ruler of all things, in every circumstance. Lord, I pray for wisdom as Jake seeks to fulfill his ministry. Lord, give him words of wisdom uh, to speak, to impart life to folks in this church. And Lord, I pray for his marriage and family. Pray for your blessing upon them. Uh, things are not well at home. Ministry becomes so much more complicated. So I pray that the two would be one, that they'd be on the same page, walking step in step. I pray that Allie would release Jake into ministry. I pray that Jake would excel in caring for his wife. And Lord, we ask in all of this for your name to be glorified in every way. We pray that the report decades from now would be a report of decades of faithful ministry for your glory. Amen. Father, as a church, uh, we thank you collectively for the gift of Jake and of Allie and of their family. Uh, thank you for the example they have already been for us. Thank you for the confirmation you've given to us as the members of this church uh, of the giftedness that you have uh, given to him. Uh, thank you for his faithfulness thus far in using that gift, using those gifts in service of us. We pray that you would give him perseverance in that task. And we pray for ourselves as his church family, as their church family, that we would follow through on the commitments that we just made, that we would encourage them, that we would honor him as a pastor, that we would seek to build them up, that we would remember that they are sheep with us. Uh, may we care well for them even as they seek to care well for us. And Father, we uh, pray that you would see uh, many souls saved through the preaching publicly of Jake uh, and the private ministry that they have and that he has uh, with students and with young people and, and others in the community. Uh, Father, we pray that there would be many souls saved through his ministry, that your kingdom would expand. Father, we pray that you would protect him from the evil one. Uh, we know that our enemy loves to tempt. Uh, even as he tempted your son, he loves to tempt those who have get, been given charge of fellow sheep. So we pray that you would guard him against temptation, that you give him faithfulness to you, that, and that you would use us as his church family to strengthen him and bolster him uh, in his pursuit of you and his following of you. Father, I pray for us fellow pastors that we may uh, be an encouragement to Jake, that we may, uh, even as the youngest pastor among us now, may we see and respect the wisdom that you've given to him. May we benefit even from the gift that he is to us and to our team. So Father, we pray that you would be honored in the ministry uh, that will take place in the months and years and, and Lord willing, decades to come of Jake and Allie. We thank you for them. And we pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. I wanted to give Jake a moment uh, to share a few thoughts with you. He had asked to, yeah, you all can be seated. Thank you. Um, 
Uh, I wanted to give him an opportunity to share a few thoughts with you as a church family uh, just on this special day. And so I want to give you a chance to do that, and then I'll share a few other things, and then we'll sing together again. Oh. Wow. Um, I just feel incredibly honored right now. Uh, Ken, Beth, thanks again for spending this Sunday and for your commissioning, and for all of your words of wisdom, um, for preaching God's word faithfully for our church this morning, for me. I think back to this time last year, when we were commissioning the Downses, and I remember when they came up to be prayed for, um, Kyle said, can I bring the family up? And you saw the little girls and Kyle and Val come up to be prayed for. And there was just this incredible sense in that moment of the costliness of what was happening in sending Kyle and Val. But the worthiness of Christ for that cost. And I'll admit, I had my eyes open during prayer. And... And behind them were standing the pastors as they're praying for them. And it just struck me in that moment uh, how our pastors value this precious flock for who Christ has died and proclaim the worthiness of Christ. And as I was in that process of pursuing today, I realized the, the gravity of the calling of being a pastor. And I'm, I'm thankful for a lot of people today. I'm thankful for my family, my parents who raised me and taught me God's word. I'm thankful for my friends and pastors who have poured into my life. I'm thankful for my wife who stands beside me and serves with me. I'm thankful for you all as the body of Christ, the ones who Christ has died for. Um, you're incredibly valuable. Um, and by God's grace, we together for decades, um, if he wills, uh, will continue to proclaim his worthiness together. And so it's an immense honor uh, to serve you all in this way. Let's give a round of applause. Uh, just thanking God for Jake and Ellie.